Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Johnson, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Join me as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. Ever wondered how maple syrup is actually made here in Canada? This episode is my very first live on-site tour and interview recording. Come and join me live as I speak with Yvonne Storm from the Central Lake Ontario Conservation Authority as she takes us through their beautiful sugar bush at Purple Woods, Ontario. There they have been producing maple syrup for 47 years. So this is our evaporator. This is where we boil the sap and turn it into maple syrup. So sap is about two and a half percent sugar and the rest of the ingredients of sap is water. So when we are done with the syrup, it has to be 66% sugar. So we boil off, we evaporate a huge amount of water, 40 to one ratio. Yeah, so 40 liters of sap makes one liter of syrup. Yvonne explains how to choose which maple trees to harvest sap from, how to tap them correctly, and then takes us through the full step-by-step process in their evaporator room from sap to syrup. Let's start the show. This episode is brought to you by Elsa, the English language speech assistant. I absolutely love this app. It's such a cool way to not only learn English, but to also practice and improve your pronunciation so that you can speak English like a native speaker and as a result, feel more confident, which is so key when you're trying to fit in and meet new people here in Canada. So how does it work? The app basically prompts you to read out loud different phrases in English and then its artificial intelligence instantly pinpoints your mistakes and scores you compared to a native speaker. It's literally like having a mini English teacher in your pocket everywhere you go ready to give you real honest feedback. I've hooked you guys up with a free seven-day trial so you can test it out. Then if you decide to become a member, you can also get 85% off on a lifetime membership and 40% off for one year. Check the show notes of this episode for your special links for that. And for your seven-day free trial, you can head to bit.ly forward slash Elsa x the newcomer collective. That's bit.ly forward slash E-L-S-A-X, The Newcomer Collective. Happy learning! Okay, so uh, good afternoon. Welcome to Purple Woods Conservation Area. My name is Yvonne Storm and I work in the Outreach and Education Department. Um, Today is a lovely spring almost spring day here on top of the Oak Ridges Moraine, which is where Purple Woods Conservation Area is located. Um, We are at about, I think, oh, maybe around 320 meters above sea level. And the Oak Ridges Moraine is a really significant land feature here in uh, southern Ontario. It stretches 360 
kilometers across the top of Lake Ontario and it basically um, divides two watersheds. So um, a watershed is basically the area of land drained by water. So everything that flows south on this side of the moraine flows into Lake Ontario and everything that flows north on that side of the moraine uh, flows north into Lake Simcoe and Lake Scugog. So Purple Woods Conservation Area is probably one of our smallest conservation areas. It's about I think about 42, 45 acres uh, in total. Um, and it's very unique in that it's the only one where we do maple syrup production. And it's probably one of my favorite conservation areas. It's like the jewel on top of our Durham region. Yeah. Um, it's a very special uh, property in that it is full of native plants, native trees. It's a really um, cool habitat and we do many different events throughout the year here at Purple Woods and one of the most significant ones is our Maple Syrup Festival. Our festival is, um, well 2020 would have been our 45th annual Maple Syrup Festival. Um, so I guess our event this year I wouldn't consider it a festival um, but it's a very long-standing family tradition. Yeah, I I attended the Maple Syrup Festival here, I think, back in 2018 and 2019. And, yeah, it was always a really fantastic event where you can learn about the, the maple syrup making process yeah. and, and actually see it in action. And, um, yeah, also just take a walk around this beautiful place, right, and learn yeah. more about... About, about conservation and, and Canadian nature and yeah it's just it's just a wonderful day out so I know it's a, a little different this year with the ongoing pandemic unfortunately but could you maybe share some more information with us about what the the more traditional maple syrup festival would include and then and hopefully that's what it will look like next year. Our traditional maple syrup festival we have a 12-day festival it runs through March break all, and the weekend after March break, and then two following weekends after that. And we have uh, our Heritage Hall uh, has a beautiful kitchen facility inside of it. So there would be pancakes and, and we do sausages and, and uh, different things throughout, throughout the festival. And it also has our Heritage Store where we sell the maple syrup that we produce here on site. We also order in other maple products from different, different Ontario uh, producers. We have a, a lady in Oshawa, Cupcake Goodness, who makes our maple syrup cookies, our shortbread cookies. And we've had many other different people in the area um, provide different products, uh, lollipops, candies, fudge. So we will have those three items this year. Um, um, but unfortunately this year the, the buildings will be closed and uh, just the store will be accessible through the window. Mm-hmm. So some information about this year's event. You're keeping it simple and encouraging self-guided hikes yeah. through the sugar bush. So yeah, you've got some great educational signage to, to inform us as we go. So yeah, so we're, we're asking people to come out and spend some time in the forest, get outside. Um, we will have some interpretive signage put up to tell the story of maple syrup and the story here at Purple Woods. But in a normal festival event, we would have uh, different stations set up. We would have uh, seasonal staff that would be telling stories at that station. Much more of an interactive experience, as interactive as you may want it to be. Um, different activities set up throughout the conservation area. And then access to the Sugar Shack as well. Mm -hmm. um, so... 
Next year, it will be much better for <laughs> sure. But this year, it'll still be great to be able to get outside and spend some time in nature. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so anyone listening, please do still come along if you're in the Durham region or the GTA. And yeah, come check it out. Registration is required, right? Online. Yeah. But the, the event is free and it's running this weekend, March 26th to 27th. And then again, next weekend, April 2nd and 3rd. Wonderful. So before we jump into all things maple syrup, I'm so excited to, to get the tour with you. Thank you so much again for your time. Um, just quickly tell us a little bit more about Central Lake Ontario Conservation Authority. Uh, who is Cloaker and uh, what, what a bit more about the work that you do and, and the other areas that, that we can visit as well. Sure. So uh, Cloaker, so Central Lake Ontario Conservation Authority, is one of 36 conservation authorities across Ontario. Ontario is the only province that has conservation authorities. And our mandate is uh, basically watershed protection. So there are many things that um, we do. So we work in partnership with our local municipalities and other organizations. Our mandate is uh, flood protection and uh, natural resource protection. Um, and one of, the, one of the many things that we do is education and getting people out into our conservation areas. But mostly it's, it's protecting the uh, natural areas and protecting um, people and property from flooding. So earlier this morning, had you come out, you would have seen one of our technicians doing a snow survey. So one of the things that we do is to be able to, in the winter seasons, every two weeks, our staff will go out and measure the snow um, the amount of snow that's on on the ground and throughout our watershed. So at many different locations and even many different snow survey locations within Purple Woods. And then what that allows us to do is to calculate how much water there will be and to be able to predict any flooding that may come when the weather does warm up. We get a couple of warm days, so we have um, we're able to predict that and then uh, alert our watershed residents as to whether or not they should be concerned about flooding and things like that. So that's just one of the things that we do. We also do um, natural monitoring, so different uh, ecosystems, the forest habitats, our aquatic habitats. Uh, most people don't know who the conservation authorities are unless you're a developer uh-huh. or you are wanting to build in our regulated areas, so such as uh, a, f- a floodplain or if you back onto a creek and you want to put a deck on or an addition onto your house, then you are required to get a permit. So that would be probably one of your first introductions to the Conservation Authority. Um, but otherwise, people just know of our, our properties and then coming out and visiting and um, spending time in nature. But most times people don't realize that those properties are owned by the Conservation Authority, that they're private properties, and that they're not... Um, city parks Mm -hmm. so that is a a little bit of a misconception out there in in that who the conservation authorities are right yeah so you could you could be confused if it's all locked up and you just wanted the day trip yeah so would you say to to go to your local conservation authority website to to see which areas are open when absolutely to to really plan your day and and which ones you want to check out so Cloaca's conservation areas are all open uh, dawn to dusk. Um, 
that is the permitted time for using. And there are rules that you need to be aware of when you're visiting the conservation area. We don't have garbage facilities. Um, that is a big important one. And we get a lot of complaints about people not being able to find a garbage can in our, our in our facilities. We have a small uh, number of staff that maintain our areas. Um, and another thing that people seem to be upset about is parking, paying for parking. Why do I have to pay for parking in a park? <laughs> well, because it is private property and we are not for profit. And mm. all of the money that goes into our pay and display goes back into maintaining those areas and goes back into the services that you don't necessarily see. It is really important to understand where um, those funds go to and why we don't provide things like garbages and, and, and we just can't keep up to it. Yeah, and it's kind of a way of, of giving back, right? You know, you pay for your parking or, you know, there's no entry fees, right? So are there other ways that, that we can donate and support the, the conservation? Absolutely. So it could be something as grand as land donations. We have um, huge supporters that way that have been ever so generous in donating their land. It, it gets designated as lands that are part of the conservation authority. Um, we also do a lot of free events, and sometimes at our free ev events, we'll have a donation box set up. So we'll do, for instance, uh, in the springtime, or sorry, one the summertime, one of our favorite events that we do here at Purple Woods Conservation Area is our Firefly Night Hike. And most of these events, and that is one, so sometimes throughout the year, we'll have events where you can come out during the after hours and you get to explore the conservation area with us and do a night hike and owl prowl. Um, but the firefly night hike is is outstanding here at Purple Woods because the habitat is still so intact that there are millions of fireflies. It's one of my wow. favorite events. Oh, I had no idea about that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm going to have to come. <laughs> and, and we do have a program with our local uh, libraries where you can, uh, I think it's a the Back to Nature hike kit. So you can sign out a backpack and in that backpack there is a parking pass um, and there's a whole... Uh, collection of uh, field guides and some different activities that families can lend, loan out and then make your way in to visit all of the different conservation areas. So what are the other conservation areas that are within COCA? So we have, there are eight conservation areas that are open to the public. I, th I believe that we own 6,300 hectares of land that we own and manage. And within that are the eight conservation areas that are accessible to the public. So starting at the north end of our watershed jurisdiction, there's uh, Crows Pass, uh, which is a kind of a, a little secret. Not too many people actually access Crows Pass. So it's a lovely conservation area. Um, and then, so then Purple Woods Conservation Area uh, to the west would be Heber Down Conservation Area, Lynn Shores, and then that's more along the, the waterfront. Bomaville Westside Marsh is down by the lake. And then you would go up to uh, Stevens Gulch, which is another lovely conservation area. It's just stunning. And then Long Sioux, which is another gorgeous one. And then Enniskillen Conservation Area. I think I got them all. There's a couple small ones in there, that, um, but those are the, the main ones. Okay. So 
let's move on to all things maple syrup. <laughs> As you mentioned, um, Purple Woods Conservation Area, where we're live right now, is the only colloquial area where you produce maple syrup. And yeah, I'm so grateful and excited to learn more about the process and see it all in action. So thank you so much again for, for giving me the tour. Um, yeah, so my first question is regarding the timing window. Uh, when do you typically start to, to harvest that sap from, from the maple trees here? So um, typically they start topping around the end of February to be ready for when the sap starts to run. Uh, so this, this is the time of year when we start getting the longer days and the temperature starts to warm up so the sap starts to, you know the snow is melting and the sap starts to make its way up the trees we need warm days of about five to seven degrees above freezing so that the sap starts to make its way up the tree and then we need cold nights where we prefer this the temperature to go back down below zero so maybe minus five minus three minus five so that the sap will come back down. If it continues to go all the way up into the branches, then the buds will start to form and the sap chemistry actually changes from sweet to sour. Uh, it goes from sugar to starch. And then that's when the tree is starting to use it. So that's pretty much when we finish and then pull the spiles out and then go on to the next season. So it's a pretty short harvest time, really. <laughs> About a four to six week window. So it'll usually you'll get a couple weeks of a really good run. And how about which trees are suitable? Is it kind of any maple tree goes or are there certain trees to, to look out for? So the maple trees that we use, the species of maple is sugar maple. Sugar maples and black maple have the most sugar out of the maple trees all the trees have sugar in them. It's just the amount of sugar that's in that maple. But it's the black, it's the sugar maples that we use here. We don't have any black maples at Purple Woods. And is there an age that comes into it as well? Yes. So a tree has to be approximately 40 years old to be tapped. Wow. And the way that, uh, so you want it to be around 25 centimeters um, in diameter at chest height. But our sugar bush here, we don't really manage it as most sugar bushes would we have a lot of tall skinny trees typically you would remove a lot of those trees to make room for the bigger crowns but this is also considered a habitat so we don't um we don't manage the forest in that manner now do you have any tips for tapping trees and the correct way to do it to get the sap yes <laughs> And I didn't study, so <laughs> I mean, it's all from memory. Let me just, let me, Jay, go two and a half centimeters into the tree for the top, right? Yeah, On go, an angle. Go about an inch and a half. Okay. And the angle is? Up uh, into the, angle, the tree. Yeah, just slightly. Yeah. And then we've gone longer with our drop lines now, too. What do you mean longer? So, like, our drop lines used to be shorter. Now they're longer. Just from to, into the, oh. Where, yeah, because you have to you got to stay 12 inches apart from your last hole. Yes. And then at least six inches above or below. Okay. Okay. So it gives you more room to be able to... Maneuver. Yeah. Right? Okay. So like, yep. like before they wanted like all the like all the drop lines really, really tight. Mm-hmm. Now mm -hmm. you can look, you can see that they're, I, they're actually... Do you know what? Tight. I have noticed that this yeah. year, that yeah. they're much longer than they normally yeah. are. 
Because sometimes they're so tight that you almost think that they're going to pop out of the tree. Yeah. But yeah, I have noticed that yeah. this year. Okay. Every year is something new. How many taps this year? I would say 14 to 1,500. 14, really? Okay. Wow. So more than... 14 to 1,500 taps. And most of our trees have about two taps in them. So we do probably 1,100 trees. Okay. So... How many liters have we pulled off yet this year? Um, of our own? Yeah. <laughs> of our year, own. So, <laughs> say uh, 80, maybe. Okay, it's good. That's what I was kind of thinking. It's yeah. almost two batches. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So we're going to bottle tomorrow. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Is this the first time you fired it up? When did this you year. start? Yeah. 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 Uh, would be this week. Uh, well, last week they did a little bit. Did they? Okay. Just to get everything going, checking yeah. for leaks and whatnot. And so now we're doing production. So yes. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. Perfect temperature. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You're like the only one that we let in the shack. So there you go. That's right. I know. Nobody's, nobody's been allowed in there. <laughs> Seriously, which is really weird because normally everybody comes in. How long have you been doing, how, how long have you been pulling maple syrup out of out of the forest? Well, Cloca's owned the property for 45 years. More than that, actually. So 2020 would have been our 45th festival. 47. So it's 47 years yeah. that we've been producing syrup yeah. here. These guys are like old timers. <laughs> not, not <all> <laughs> actually, I'm I'm considered a newbie at Cloak. Actually, since COVID, I can finally say I'm not a newbie. We've had a few new hires, but I'm I was a, a newbie. Yeah, Alex is. Alex is. Yeah, he's only been here what ten years. Yeah, so he's I'm he's. 17, so. <laughs> we do something different every day, right? So. Yeah. 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 I was going to say it's very Canadian, but then it's, you, it's only this area of Canada, it's, right? So I always think it's very Canadian. You have it on your flag, but... Right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's just this part of Canada. It, so. Yeah, just uh, southern yeah. Ontario and a little bit just around the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. So we'll go into... The, normally this is open, the big doors are open, but mm. we can go inside and, and we can chat inside. Okay. Um, it's really loud here. Okay, well, it smells amazing. So this is our evaporator. This is where we boil the sap and turn it into maple syrup. Um, so all the tubing connects at the back of the sugar shack and it goes into, um, when we have enough sap, the sap gets stored in some tanks in the back room here. And then when we have enough sap, we bring it in here through this big tube into this big machine, which is called an evaporator. So sap is about two and a half percent sugar and the rest of the ingredients of sap is water. So when we are done with the syrup, it has to be 66% sugar. So we boil off, we evaporate a huge amount of water in the evaporator here. So when it first comes in, it, it comes into the front pans here and they're called our flue pans. And this is what it actually looks like inside. So the inside of the, um, this section of the evaporator, the pans are grooved. So we kind of compare it to like a ruffled potato chip. And what that does is it cooks the sap all around. So as the sap is boiling, the water is evaporating out. And you can even take a quick look in there and you can see that it's boiling away, bubbling and boiling away. And all of that steam is going up through the pipe, I want it's not a chimney, but up through the two pipes. Oh, oh, let's get around to the back. Quick, quick, quick. <laughs> wow, there you go. So what are we looking at here? That is the finished product. That is the finished 
So the, the sap is now at temperature. So syrup is ready at four degrees above the boiling temperature of water. The, the boiling temperature of water changes dependent on the barometric pressure. So that needs to be monitored the whole time that they are making maple syrup. So this is quite an automated system in that we have the digital thermometer when the syrup is done. So when it comes in from the tree, it's at about two and a half percent sugar. By the time it gets to this, the second pan, it's at about maybe 20 to 30% sugar, 40% sugar, and then like 50, 60% sugar. And then when it's finally done and it gets to that temperature, then it gets, it gets ejected into the back pan. Wow. And it's removing all of that water and, and all that water. It down. Yeah. 40 to one ratio. Yeah. So 40 liters of sap makes one liter of syrup. Wow. Yeah. So we do actually test the, um, the percentage of the sugar in the syrup. We use a, a tool called a colorimeter that measures the amount of syrup. And um, then in order to sell syrup, it has to be 66% sugar. That's how, why we measure the amount of, of sugar. And then how we grade the syrup is we use this piece of equipment is called a colorimeter. So we take some of our syrup and we put it into a bottle and then we just hold this up to the light and determine what color or what grade the syrup is. So the color of the syrup is dependent on the cooking time. At the beginning of the season, you'll have more sugar in the sap. So it takes less cooking to get to 66% sugar. At the end of the season, that the trees are starting to draw up the melted snow, any rain, so the sugar is being diluted in the sap. So instead of it being 2.5% sugar, you might have 2% sugar or 1.9% sugar or whatever that is. It's less than 2.5% sugar. So then it takes longer to cook to get to 66% sugar. So because it's cooking longer, you get a darker color of syrup and you get a, more, a stronger maple taste. All of the syrups have 66% sugar. It just depends on how long it took to cook. So the, the new grading system that we have here, we have a poster over here on the wall. So the old grading system that everybody's familiar with are the light and extra light, whereas the new one is the golden, amber, dark, and very dark. So they're all the same amount of sugar, it's just the color and the taste are different. So what's the average time then that it takes for, for this process now, say, from, from sap to, to seeing that finished product come out just then? Uh, well, the, the sap that's likely in here today would have been collected overnight and during the day. So we, I think we've already pulled off probably two batches, and each batch is about 50 liters of syrup to round down. And it's all dependent on the weather. So if, it's, if we get no cooling down, if it doesn't go below freezing during the night, the sap will just continue to come up and up and up and fill our tanks. And so um, because we're not boiling 24 hours a day, 24-7, we have to let the sap cool down and then bring it back up to temperature the next day when we come in in the morning. If we were to, able bo to continuously boil to keep up to the amount of sap that's coming in from the trees, then we could easily boil 
a batch, so 50 liters within five hours. And that's 50 liters of finished product. Finished product, yeah. You just need someone sleeping here. <laughs> well, and, then, and yes, yeah, but unfortunately, that's not something we can do. Um, so then the next step, so once this sap, once this syrup, because this is now syrup, uh, before it can be bottled, it has to be filtered. So it gets pushed through a filter press to remove what's called the sugar sands. So in the sap, there are minerals that are drawn up from the soil. And those minerals, during the cooking process, they crystallize and turn into sugar sands. So we need to remove the sugar sands from the syrup in order to, it, it's just nicer. Otherwise the syrup is a little bit gritty. There's nothing, it's just sugar sands. Um, so it gets filtered, then we put it, then it gets piped into the bottler, which is in the kitchen. The bottler gets heated back up to temperature again in order to um, sanitize the bottles that it goes into. And uh, then it's bottled. And then once it's bottled, it's, it's good to go. It can be kept in the freezer for, I think, like 10 years. It can be kept on the shelf for about three years. Uh, once a bottle of syrup has been opened, it should be refrigerated, but on the shelf unopened, it can it can last for a few years. And it, and they say that if there's ever mold on the syrup, that you can just remove the mold and reboil it again, and it'll be fine. Amazing. Well, this is just boiling. That's all that's happening right now. It's all it's doing. But nothing is added. Because you can read up on this reverse osmosis stuff. So we do. I don't know if we actually use the reverse osmosis um it's like a filter. It filters out the water. Yeah. Um, it cuts down the time it, it takes. It cuts down the, the cooking time. Actually, well, we can go in the back quickly and take a look at the pump. Just watch your step. So that's where the pump is. And you can see, you can just quickly look here and you can see that the sap is coming in. And the pump's not even on. Oh, it comes into the pump and then flows over into the tanks. They've, oh, and it's wood-fired, so that's the one thing that I didn't, didn't mention, is that uh, we do use wood, so that is the, the source of fuel to cook the syrup. And then out here, you can see that, so that evaporator is extremely efficient in that it actually burns um, the particulates in the smoke. And so you, what you see, you don't see smoke. What you actually see is the steam. Mm -hmm. You can see the heat coming off of the the um, the stovepipe, but there's you won't see any smoke. Oh yeah! Wow, so clean. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so go to the bucket stop. Unfortunately, all of the props and everything have been put away. Uh -huh. The in indigenous people have collected and used the sap from time immemorial that was always part of their summer or sorry their spring tradition and um is a very important part of their culture and uh an important way to start the new year for them this is this is kind of like the beginning of the year for them mm -hmm. and the indigenous people would make maple sugar mm -hmm. um, and then when the early settlers came to this area the indigenous people shared the method with them mm -hmm. and so because the pioneers 
had pots and, and uh, different tools and stuff. Uh, they changed it to actually making maple syrup. So it's actually a fairly recent process where the syrup was being made because even when the early settlers did first come to, to this part of Canada, um, there was no way of storing the syrup. And like you even mentioned yourself, having uh, the mold grow, that was the same for them. So it wasn't until being able to have access and, and using cans and, and glass containers did syrup become the product that was made. So they, the reason that we have March break is because they needed help in the sugar bush. So they would take the school children out of school during the spring season to come and work in the sugar bush. And they would use uh, yolk and buckets to carry the sap from the, the trees. So they'd emptied out the, the buckets that were hanging on the trees. And the kids would carry yolk and bucket full of sap back to the camp where the women traditionally would be boiling the sap in big pots. Um, and they, they started with a one-pot method, but then they found that it, would, it was much easier to go to kind of like how our uh, modern system is with the three pans. They went to three pots. So they would have a big pot with a big fire, medium pot, medium fire, and a small pot with a small fire. And so they would transfer that syrup from each pot um, until it became the consistency that they were, that they were happy with as, as syrup. And then eventually they, you know, it's cold in the springtime, it rains, it snows, you get every weather condition going in this time of year. So they put a roof over their pots and then even walls and then eventually it turned into what we traditionally know as the sugar shack. Um, wow. And what about the actual tapping method of, of getting to the sap? So the pioneers had a tool called a brace in a bit where they would prop it up against their body and drill the hole into the tree. Um, we actually use an electric drill and um, the drill bit goes in about two and a half centimeters on a slight angle. That way when the sap is going up, it catches it the same as when it's going down. It, oh, and then you tap it with a hammer to, to snug it in. And when you tap it in, you should see some drips straight away? or It depends on when you tap it, yeah. right? If, uh, if the sap is running or not. they do. You do have to be careful that if you're tapping the trees um, when it's too cold, the temperatures are too cold, you run the risk of actually cracking the bark and splitting the bark because it's too cold. So there is a, a temperature at which they should be tapped. I don't know offhand what that is, but... It, it should be warm enough when when to tap and the other thing too is to the where to tap so the um it's basically chest height as you want to make sure that your your taps are because when you're when the trees are being tapped it's in the winter time so there's snow on the ground so that you have to take that into consideration when it's time to take the taps out that you don't want the taps way up here depending on the snow level so you you always try to make sure that it's at chest height is where the taps are. Yeah. And what about the the actual tree itself? Is is when you tap it, is there risk of really damaging the tree or hurting the tree's health? Well, it doesn't hurt the trees to tap the tree. Oh, okay. Good so they, they it's estimated that it's maybe 10% of the sap um, gets taken from the tree. And once the buds start to swell, 
the chemistry, as I said, changes and the sap turns from sweet to sour and then we're done. So then we pull the spiles out of the tree and you can see where the tree has been tapped in previous years. So you can see all of the different holes in the tree where it's been tapped in previous years and the tree just grows over the hole and it's fine. As long as you look after the trees, six, six inches or 12 inches or something, but you just kind of move. I think it's even less than that. You just move over a little bit, move up and down and side to side from, um, from the previous holes. But there is, there is a limit to how many taps you can put into a tree. So even regardless of the size of the tree, the most that you should put into a tree is four taps. At one time. Yeah. And most of our trees are only big enough for two taps. There was, there's a couple older trees that are probably about 120 years old at the bottom of the hill that, that you could put four in, but we only maybe three taps in each tree. How can you pick out a maple tree without leaves on it? Um, that's a great question. So all trees, all trees can by, be identified by their bark and their branches. So the it's called the habit of their branches. So sugar maples um, have a, a rough kind of grayish bark and their branches are, they grow opposite each other. Mm. Um, whereas if you were to look at, say, the beech trees, which we have a few beech in here, um, their branches are alternate. How we teach the kids when they come on their school trips, how to determine between a red maple and a sugar maple is that the red maple um it kind of looks like the bark peels like their the velcro on their jacket mm -hmm. on the flap of their jacket whereas uh, a red maple its bark peels but it looks like you could take strips going up the tree and i think the silver maple kind of looks the same too so but i honestly find them kind of a bit of a challenge because from the each age, they look a little bit different. So some of them are really rough looking, but it's the branches and the bark. And then of course, in the summertime, when they have leaves, it's their leaves. Cool. So do you have any tips for anyone wanting to try it at home? Have you tried to, to make maple syrup at home? We have tried to do it. You have. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of an adventure. So I would say if you want to try it at home, the first thing would be to not cook it in your kitchen. Right. Right. With the amount of water that boils off, it's, I've heard that it can peel the wallpaper off the walls because of the condensation that it creates. Oh. Right. 40 liters of what to one. Yeah. Most of hydro too. That'd be expensive. To sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially now. Um, a lot of people that do their home cooked syrup would do it over a uh, fire mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of different methods we tried doing it in a pot over the fire and um, became very frustrated at the smoke and um, and feeding the fire all day long um, so then went to using the barbecue and cooked it on the barbecue all day long and then walked away for a few minutes to start supper and it caught fire oh. the syrup caught fire so sugar is flammable um and then it got to the point where uh out of frustration my husband went and got 
I would not recommend this. I don't think that this is a, a, a good way to do it, but it worked. <laughs> he got a salamander, a construction salamander, a heater uh-huh. that they use on it, like in construction sites and put like a big stainless steel pot on that. And I feel like he boiled it down within four hours and it was so golden. It looked like honey. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then he was done. He was like, that's it. We're not cooking any more yeah. syrup. I, you know, and even though the sap was still running, he's like, we're done. We're never doing it again because... It's a big commitment. Of course, yes. And you I really put it all, all your effort into it, yeah. all or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we can wrap everything up with um, the health benefits of maple syrup. I think that's so interesting. Obviously, it's very, very high in sugar, as we've discussed, but it is a real natural sweetener, which I find so interesting, like honey, for example. So um, something that I did find really interesting is that Honey is around 21 calories per teaspoon and maple syrup is actually half of that, 11 calories per teaspoon, uh, which is so incredible to me. I think you always think honey is is a healthier choice when when baking, for example, to sweeten things up, but I might make the switch to maple syrup. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So what health benefits uh, are we looking at when when we eat some maple syrup? So there are many health benefits for from maple syrup. Um, it's a natural sweetener, and one of the things that maple syrup features is that it apparently has 54 antioxidants that can help delay or prevent diseases caused by free radicals. These antioxidant compounds are the same as those found in berries, green tea, red wine, whole wheat, and flax seed. It offers high levels of zinc and manganese, keeping the heart healthy and boosting the immune system. Maple syrup, regardless of its color or grade, is all the same when it comes to nutrition. It is good for digestion, the circulatory system, and has fewer calories than most other sweeteners, containing absolutely no fat or artificial ingredients. However, you still need to be mindful that it is sugar. So those that are um, sugar sensitive need to, you know, be aware of the the effects of maple syrup. And it tastes great. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely got some serious cravings now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for your time. This has been so, so interesting. Um, I'm hoping that everybody could really hear all of the noises of the forest and the maple syrup being made. And um, even though there isn't any visual to this, it was really, really educational. And yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate that. And I will be making a video as well. So anybody who is listening, if you want to see the machines in action and some footage of the forest, head to my Instagram at the Newcomer Collective and I will post that on there as well. So wonderful Yvonne thank you again for your time and anybody who does want to come and see the maple trees and see the you know the maple syrup festival this weekend and next please do that's Purple Woods Conservation Area and that's in Oshawa Ontario. Thank you so so much for listening As always, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And then if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next week. Bye.